I'm Kevin Rowe, founder of two seven-figure SEO companies and SEO industry advocate with ideas featured in Fast Company, Forbes, Search Engine Journal, Search Engine Land, and SMX. I'm passionate that the SEO industry is in dire need of change to sustain industry growth and improve SEO's ability to drive real business impact. This is the future of SEO. All right, everybody, thank you for checking this out. This is the PureLink Podcast. It's April 23rd, 2020. I have two guests on with me today, and our special guest is Viola Eva. She founded Flow SEO, and she is an SEO consultant who's also spoken at a lot of different conferences, including the uh, DMSS conference in Bali. Uh, she's been featured on Ungagged, Search Marketing Summit, PubCon, uh, she's contributed to SEJ, Search Engine Journal, and SEMrush, and among others. And uh, Viola, thank you for coming on today. And, thank you so uh, much for having me. Yeah, definitely. I also have with me Kevin Rowe. He is the founder of Rowe Digital and PureLink, and he's also been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Search Engine Journal, and um, SMX East and West he's, he's spoken at, as well as SMX Advanced. So Kevin, thanks for coming on and uh, I'm going to pass it off to you and we'll get this going today. You got it. You know, I, um, uh, so for anybody listening, we were just talking about um, the business of SEO agency, you know, the business of SEO right. and Viola, if you can talk about, which I thought was, um, uh, you know, I thought was really interesting uh, more about how you're handling the changing changing environment right now. So we know a lot of SEOs, they get their business by talking at these conferences. Right. Um, but uh, now the virtual conferences are limited. There's not a lot of talk, uh, not a lot of speakers actually getting admitted to speak at these conferences. You know, how are you adjusting to that change and what are you doing now to um, reposition your, your lead generation strategy? Good question. Um, about a month ago, I started in, or maybe like six weeks ago now, I started an internal campaign with my team called Keep Calm and Act Early, which was basically then when, you know, the lockdown started in several countries and it was becoming more and more clear that events are not going to happen. Is I told my team like, okay, we radically need to shift the things we're doing and, and maybe drop some of the activities that we've been relying on in the past and start some new stuff. And one of the major shifts obviously is conferences and conference speaking where maybe initially I was hoping they're going to be canceled like for a month or two. And now I'm starting to realize as everyone else is probably be canceled or changed for the rest of 2020 and beyond. Um, so I'm finally doing digital marketing for my digital marketing agency, <laughs> uh, which means we all are. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's true. I mean, we, we, we talked about this or the reason why we're here is we talk, want to talk about brand and authority building as an, you know, as an expert, as an agency. And a lot of the, my activities have been relying on events and in-person relationships. So now I'm trying to move a lot of things online. I published a lot more guest articles and guest posts um, about SEO, about how to run a business, how to run a remote company in April. And I'm also doing a lot more podcasts and all this. So my hypothesis is that 
whilst it might not be the same in terms of building a connection that hopefully I can create an authority or reach with the digital channels as well. Mm-hmm. And um, that has been my main focus for April and it's also going to stay my main focus moving forward. And I have a few video and content projects in the pipeline that are going to be starting to release in May, June that hopefully will get some attention and eyeballs and people interested in what we do. Now, you know, you just talked about a really interesting topic, the the idea of going out and getting on podcasts. Um, Are you using a service to do that or like a, like a network or are you just finding podcasts and reaching out to them um, directly? Well, first I did the smart thing. I asked my friends (laughs) (laughs) and basically what I found, look, so I'm actually, actually trying to replicate what I learned about conferences and events which is, you know, you got to start somewhere and you got to give it a try and you got to put out, you know, that MVP podcast, MVP webinar so that other people can look at it. So this is why I collected the few podcasts that I've done in the past. And I, you know, started sending them to friends and acquaintances and said like, Hey, is this stuff that you're interested in? Um, would you like to feature me on the podcast? And basically what I'm doing is I'm, I'm preparing a portfolio of these are the topics I can talk about. And this is why I'm interesting. And then I'm using that to pitch um, other more well-known, more famous podcasts where I might not have a direct connection. Mm-hmm. So yeah, always starts with friends and acquaintances. And then, no, I don't use a service. I actually send, um, I've been sending the requests and outreach myself on Facebook, LinkedIn, and also email. Um, because what I've been trying to do is do like very personalized pitch to that thing. So I have basically, I have my backlink team do preparing, you know, find, finding the contact information, finding the email addresses, and then pre-filter them into buckets of these are the kind of like girl boss, women in entrepreneurship podcasts. These are the marketing podcasts. These are the SEO podcasts. And then from there, at this point, I've been manually going through and seeing like which ones are the ones that I think are worthwhile pitching to. Great. You know, I was just, uh, I watched a podcast with Tim uh, Sulo um, from SEM Rush, or excuse me, AHRFs. Uh, yes. Yeah. And he just, uh, one of the things he just published was why he spent $200,000 last year on sponsoring podcasts. Yep. And he, um, which I thought was very interesting, um, was he, the year before, he spent 60000 which isn't a lot. Right. And he actually didn't get, um, he, the program was technically a failure, um, right. but, uh, but that was just how he was measuring it. Then right. he realized after he went to a conference, people were talking about, Hey, I've been, yeah, I've seen, I've seen you on the, I've seen you on multiple podcasts. So yeah, I do know who you are. And once we're ready uh, to, to use a software, Ahrefs is the top of our list. So that was one of his aha moments I heard him say. Right. And we'll link to that podcast. And um, in the, once we publish this, once we publish this, and um, I thought that was brilliant. So he decided, even though it was a failure of a program, how they were evaluating it, once he realized how to truly evaluate the success of podcasts, which is your brand, right. um, he, he realized that uh, it made sense to spend a, a lot more money on that. And in 20, I believe 2019, he may, he may have done it. And I can, I can relate with that in the sense that the way I usually also get clients and leads it's usually people who've either seen me speak somewhere or read my article somewhere or that someone refers me to. And, and that wouldn't happen if there wasn't this constant stream of like new content, talk recordings and stuff like that, that I'm trying to put out on a regular basis. And it's hard to say like, oh, you know, I published this guest post and then, you know, 
500 people came to my website and you know then i can either consider this a success or a failure yeah. but i think the the asset and the long term you know increased value um comes from that comes from that brand value and people recognizing you and remembering you as someone who does something as someone who's around as someone who's present i think it's trust too like when somebody understands right. how you think um they be they if you're smart or if you're not smart, they will know, right. you know, smart people right. know a few minutes into listen to you speak, whether or not you actually know what you're talking about or you don't. Right. I think that helps build the trust um, because it, it, it lets people know either you are, or you are, or you do, or you do not know what you're talking about in SEO. You know, with that, uh, the backlinko guy, he repurposes his content. What do you think about that? Because he takes his content, he'll do a big guide and then he'll just do a refresh on that guide for the next year. Josh, that's that's what you um, that's what you see happening, right? We were, yeah, we were Brian Dean. There. Yeah, that's what he does. I think Neil Patel does that too. Creates long pieces and then just does annual refreshes of it. Uh, I, I believe Neil Patel's all, always coming out with new content too. But yeah, that's that's a big thing. And and um, Brian Dean's his website. I heard he only has seventy something pages on there that are <laughs> indexed, and he just keeps refreshing them. Clever for somebody who has so many links. <laughs> Well, so, so here's what I think. Uh, firstly, I think he built out a site. I think, it, I think it was a super tiny site for a long time. And I think he built it out, um, or that's my perception of it, because now he also has all the YouTube marketing content, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think it depends on what you're doing. So for example, most of the articles and most of the content work that I personally do it, I, I, uh, I actually write it for authority and trust and not necessarily for ranking. And this is actually something that I tell my clients all the time also. It's like not every piece of content that you're creating needs to be an SEO content piece. But if you want to be ranking, it needs to be an SEO content piece. And then it probably should be an evergreen, crucial, you know, article that you're updating. So if Brian Dean's purpose or goal is, you know, to be ranking with these articles and, you know, get organic traffic from that, I think he's doing it exactly right. He created an evergreen been ultimate guide that he's refreshing you know the dates hopefully also the information i think as a ranking strategy is totally valid um in terms of being an expert in the space you know that has newsworthy content might not be the right strategy but then newsworthy content might not have the search volume or interest and you know so so i think it's just two different types of content production there it is it really it really is um you know, I wanted to talk about, I also want to talk about this book. Um, mm -hmm. So, and uh, I thought this was really interesting. I don't remember if you recommended this to me or not, but. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain we talked about it last week because I said it's written for the fidgety mind with the short chapters and it's good like that. Yep. Which is me in a nutshell. <laughs> it's all okay. of us. It's um, all of us. So I, I think that I haven't started reading this book yet, but it is on my list. Um, it's on my shelf actually in, in the queue. Um, but what are your thoughts about this, this whole idea of, um, because a lot of people traditionally, right? A lot of us that started agencies early on, um, or that have been doing, you know, some people that started, you know, 50 years ago, um, they started with the idea that they're working 70 hours a week. So they know it going into it. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's no way around it. Um, but I mean, the premise of this book is it doesn't have to be crazy. Right. right. So can you talk about that a little bit more and, um, tell me your thoughts about, uh, and, you know, if you want to cite some of the book as well, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, talk about absolutely. your thoughts about growing an agency without pulling your hair out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the book that you just showed is called, it doesn't have to be crazy at work. 
and you know the cover is full of this like six you know um 60 hour week notifications busy schedule crazy meetings and it's all crossed out and it's written by the two founders of Basecamp, which is a software tool. And ultimately, what the, the term or concept that they're coining with that is calm company. And from what I understand, their perception of a company is a company that challenges traditional beliefs about businesses. It challenges beliefs about how much we need to grow. It challenges beliefs about how much we need to work in order to sustain that growth. And it predominantly challenges how we should be feeling in our business. And so saying that we are busy and that we are growing and that we are scaling, it's kind of the cool thing to do. It's very zeitgeist, you know, it's, it's the hip thing to do, but it doesn't tell you anything, you know, about the balance you feel your life and the joy and, you know, the deep work that you're actually, you know, could be experiencing while you're working. So they talk about, they call that the calm company and they basically tell you, how do you get out of the rat race? How do you get out of the everything is always urgent. Every notification is always urgent. And I think especially in the client business, we tend to, you know, cater to the people who scream the loudest and we tend to freak out, you know, if the client freaks yeah. out and all this stuff and it can get this very like stressful, high urgency, everything is important environment. And not to get like too either health focused or esoteric about this, but basically what we're doing with this, we're also creating a culture of constant fight, flight or freeze where we're always in stress, we're always in anxiety, and probably that is not the best environment to foster deep work and peak performance and the best thing that we could be delivering to the world. So for me, coming out of the anxiety that maybe inherently, or that seemed to inherently come with agency work that seems to come with entrepreneurship has been one of the big goals. And so the first part was always for me, like how can I create an environment for myself and for my team where we don't constantly have to be afraid, where we don't constantly have to be in fight, flight or freeze, but can actually relax. And for me, that for example means being really conscious about notifications and the type of notifications that I get, being very conscious about when I tell my team that something is urgent and making that a really, 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 really rare thing, you know, to request. And also it comes to, you know, what's the type of growth that we would like to achieve and what is the type of pressure I want to build from that. And then mm -hmm. kind of like also being a bootstrap company is also for me been really important, like profitability from day one. Because that also gives a certain like primal relaxation of the nervous system, knowing that we are taking care of, right? And we don't have mm -hmm. to worry about our salaries and all this stuff in the next month. Yeah. So those are kind of like the different levels of calm company that inspire me and that I'm trying to be a good role model for my team for as, as much as I can. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of factors that go into the... Um, you know, the everything's important and it needs to get done now mentality, right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think one of it is like managing expectations, right? Um, being able to deliver what you said you were going to deliver. Um, I think that once you're very clear on the expectations of what you are building and what you are delivering and how you're evaluating the success of that, um, then the, and if you're good at proactively planning and actually hyper-focus on those goals and the, you know, the KPIs and the, um, you know, delivering the program as promised, you know, I think that that's one of the key components to this, right? right? So if you're, if you're delivering, if you know exactly what you're going to deliver, you, mm -hmm. I know it's almost impossible in SEO to know the exact impact of what you're going to do. You know, you can create projections, right. but um, 
you know, but at, le- at the very least, you know exactly what it is you're going to be delivering. You can right. have that deliverable make um, match a client's expectations, manage their expectations of what those deliverables are going to be. I think you start to, I have personally started to see um, a lot fewer of those crazy, um, crazy moments. It's usually when mistakes happen um, is when that craziness comes out, right? And so um, I, I think that proactively avoiding those mistakes, which a lot of the times are in part can be human error or it can be, which is either communication, managing the flow of information from the client down to the team. Right. Um, you know, I think definitely all of those are part of it. But, um, and, and, and the funny thing is, uh, one, a couple of the solutions to that are process, you know, um, process automation. Right. Um, whether it's not, or map process mapping, really mapping out your process. And this book that I showed you earlier, I thought was interesting. Um, the market agency blueprint, this general book, I, I do like, the, you know, the book itself, it doesn't go too deep into process mapping, but the idea, uh, makes a lot of sense when you create these modules, you create these standard deliverables that you have and you know how you're going to be able to deliver, you know, how much time it takes to deliver how many days and what the quality of that work should be. Right. And, um, and I actually, when I, when I founded Row Digital, I started to, um, I started to really focus on that. We created these SEO modules and the modules were like, you know, an SEO audit and what type of audit? Well, we have like five different types of audits you can do. <laughs> um, you know, what's included in those? Uh, well, you know, we actually mapped out what each of them were, um, what the deliverables, what you need to audit inside of it, um, right. you know, uh, what you need to examine. I think that productization, as what a lot of people do call it, agency productization, I think is the key to what you, one of the keys to what you just said. Um, what are you, what is your thoughts on, um, on uh, productizing in the SEO agency or even content marketing for that matter? Right. Well, a lot of smart things that you said here and that I really like. Um, wh- one thing is just kind of like as, a, as the quirky comment is, I read this online, which was um, everything in moderation even yep. moderation. So I think, <laughs> I think it's about balance, right? You know, with everything that we're doing, trying to establish a calm company, trying to establish like productized services, et cetera. That's not to say that maybe one day things go crazy. Like six weeks ago, everything went crazy and that's okay. But I don't want crazy to be the culture or the, the regular thing. I want it to be the extraordinary thing to happen every now and then. And I think you know, setting a culture of that is important and kind of the emotional vibe. And then, as you said, on a practical basis, um, organizing the many loose ends and many things in a way we do that, that we do in a way that people know what is expected of them and know how it works. I think it's exactly, I think it's the right, exactly the right way to think about it. And like I said, having, you know, a few different type of audit, a few different type of keyword research, um, different content types, like, right, like this is um, a blog post, this is our ultimate guide, this is, you know, a pillar page or hub page, et cetera. And then at least we know when, when we say like, oh, you know, we want to be creating an ultimate guide, then we roughly know what we are envisioning. And that's not to say that from time to time we tweak and, you know, like customize something, but I think it's good to know, like, you know, this is the bouquet of services that we offer and this is how they look like. 
And then most of the time, you know, we know, okay, it's that size of a business and, you know, this is a software, this is the e-com and, and, you know, out of our bouquet, these are the things that will be useful for them and that we will deliver. And I think, as you said, it helps with expectation management with the client, but it also helps expectation management internally and with the team in terms of what, what are they supposed to do? How long is it supposed to last? And what's an acceptable deadline for this, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in SEO, I think the setting deadlines and estimating out how many time, how much time projects are really going to take has always been a problem, especially in enterprise. When you're dealing with a, a site with 50,000 pages, you know, you got to audit 50,000 pages. How long is it going to take? I have no idea. You know, I, we can try to model it out. <laughs> well, and, and, and you also know, it's the thing as being a consultant, it's, it's always, it depends. It is. You know, clients and team and everyone is always like, you know, how long does this take? What is this going to do? It's, it's always, it depends. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think like the audit, you know, estimation doesn't need to be perfect, right? Maybe you estimate 30 hours and it then ends up being 28. But I think what we want to avoid is estimating 30 hours and it turns out to be 120. 100. You know? <laughs> we all so. done that. <laughs> I've done that. It, yeah, it's part of the game, but I think, in most cases, we're trying to be roughly, you know, and with the right ballpark figure for things. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is difficult, but I believe the technology is also a part of that. Um, if you can figure out how to, um, how to which is, is almost getting away from agencies. We've seen it, right? We've seen a lot of agencies or agency owners transition away from agency into delivering a product. HubSpot did that. Mm. Um, uh, Larry Kim, when he, he initially, uh, I remember when I introduced him at, uh, C3, I think it was last year or the year before, um, he was, um, uh, we were talking about, uh, backstage, we were talking about when he transitioned over to the, um, word stream and he created this technology, right? Which I think he just sold, I believe, don't quote me on this, like for 50 million or something like that. And or $50 million valuation at least. And, um, with that, he, he, I think he was like really a process oriented guy. And so it made sense for him just to build a technology that could do what they were doing for their clients anyway. Um, you know, what are your thoughts about, um, taking some of the key processes or some of your better, um, you know, products or offerings and then starting to develop products around those? Well, firstly, I think you, you, you're, you're probably the expert to ask on this and share your experience. But I, I want to tell you my uh, gut feeling about this, which is, um, do you know the Myers-Briggs personality test? Yeah, of course. Yep. Certainly. So I am INTJ. And so like my theory, which is kind of like introvert technical, like analyst mind. And my theory is that a lot of people who end up in SEO or, you know, the technical side of digital marketing often fall on that side of the spectrum. This is why, you know, we like spending so much time in tools and software mm-hmm. and spreadsheets and looking at big amounts of data. And it's a, the creative problem solving comes from organizing that huge amount of data into a practical strategy. So I think as a community, we could, I think we like streamlined and organized processes. And I think that's also natural why some of these entrepreneurs and, you know, SEO consultants, et cetera, realize like, the way to get this like really organized and really streamlined and really technology. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, you know, it starts maybe with organizing a workflow in SLP about how to handle the spreadsheets. And then maybe, you know, you're programming some solutions to make like data imports and exports easier or faster, et cetera. And then step by step by step, um, you know, you, you end up being more a technology company than you were a service company. But I, I'd be curious to see, firstly, what personality type you consider yourself and if you think that played any part on your path and, and, and why you transitioned from Road Digital to PureLink. Yeah. You know what? I've never actually taken the test. I've never taken a personality test before. I, uh, it's, I it, challenge it, you uh, to. It's so much fun. Yeah, you <laughs> oh, it. Really? Yeah, you got to do it. It'd be hilarious to find out, too, what, what your yeah. personality is. I... Uh, I'd be interested. I'm going to, I'm going to actually probably do that once we're done with this. Please do. And when you publish the podcast, let, let us know. Okay. I'll try to, I'll see if we can get it done before this podcast goes live. Um, yeah. And productization, I think productization, um, there's, there's a, well, there's a lot of things that come along with it. First off, you launch a software. I mean, our services we've had, um, you know, we do 10,000 a month. We've had a couple, uh, a number of them at 40,000 I and mean, you can go up to $90,000 a month when it comes to SEO services or sometimes even more depends on what you're doing. Um, you know, in a software, you don't typically do that. You, uh, software companies are when you're productizing, if you have a product, um, except an enterprise software, of course, but, um, like POS or, or, you know, something along those lines. Um, but my experience was that the average cost is typically lower. Um, the retention rates are typically lower. So in an agency in Road Digital, we had clients for three, four years. Um, some from the beginning that never went away. And with a uh, software, it's very rare to see that because it's, it's, it's strategy. It's, you know, it's about trust um, in an agency world. I mean, it definitely is about trust in software. Um, but when you're an agency, it's all about like you're being the most knowledgeable person. You're the right person for that right company. Um, and you're an expert in SEO. And um, the I think the strategy is a big part of it. And people are used, very used to spending uh, larger dollar amounts on, on services like that because, and they're justifiable. Um, you know, I think Neil Patel, for example, Josh, I don't know if you remember, but he talks a lot about like a minimum $10,000 a month commitment for his consulting services. Makes complete sense. Um, because you can't build a software though. Um, again, I, I don't, uh, you know, you can't build a software to replace me hundred percent. You couldn't, um, or you, you know, it just, it's, um, I mean, AI, once AI comes into play, maybe it's going to get a little bit more adventurous. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, but you can, what you can do is you can take one component of what you've done and then take that out of it, um, you know, off your plate and then productize, develop the software around it. You know, so what we did with PureLink was we just realized link building was one of the, it was, it's just a really hot topic. It's hard to do. It's time consuming. Um, you know, your response rates sometimes on outreach are less than 5% most of the time, actually. If you're lucky, you'll get a 10% if you really spend a lot of time building your lists and doing one-to-one -one outreach. And then, you know, I just realized that um, out of all of the SEO um, tactics that you can use, the link building tactics you can use, I know one of them we had, we realized that the relationships, having like a series of relationships were like critical to right. doing link building, but that doesn't work for all forms of link building, right? Uh, you, 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 you have to have a specific number of sites that you can go after or publishers that are willing to work with you, um, you know, things like that. So, but you can't really do that all for, for SEO services in general. I mean, some people are trying to with like, you know, right. um, uh, like Ahrefs is, is automating the research side of it. But it's about picking that one product or one skill set that you have 
and then building a technology around that, building the process out. And that's what we're doing with like on the PureLink side, we just build out a huge database of relationships. I have a product manager always going out there, building more sites and finding more relationships. Um, and then like even productizing even further, we, we launched Mention Connections. So instead of offering that as a service inside of our core offering, we, we realized there were a ton of people looking for unlinked brand mentions. So we created a product around it. I built a crawler that crawls and index all of, all of our sites. I've um, come up with a, an offering for people that actually makes sense for that types of service, right? So it's, right. Um, you know, it's a, it's a one-off. And sometimes it's actually a one-off project because you go out there, you find all the unlinked brand mentions and then you just go about going after each one. Right. Um, and so like, I think that productization, that branding as well is actually really important in SEO. Um, a lot of SEOs say, hey, I'm an SEO agency. My agency has a brand. I believe you can productize and brand each individual service. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. I agree with that. Look, I think the reason, so what it sounds like to me, like the reason why you've been going down further and further, the, the part of productization and developing these older things is, is you know, for, for you, that's a creative problem. You know, you see an inefficiency and, and, and you're trying to fix it and you're trying to work through it. And I, th I think there's a balance here that we need to strike between recognizing that. I actually think people like calling, call, calling me for SEO consulting. <laughs> I think they like having that chat, you know, and, yeah. and that's maybe because they learned something or because they, someone cares. They have the opportunity to talk about their marketing campaign with someone who cares, mm -hmm. you know. So that's, that's something to, to recognize, which again is this need for connection. Um, and then on the other hand, we're just trying to get certain jobs, you know, like done and there's just certain things that need to happen and, and, and link building, especially is something that seems so scary for people. So I think if someone can do it like fast and efficiently for them, that that's, that's why they turn to a company like PureLink because they're like, oh, okay, they're really going to fix that issue for me. But, mm -hmm. um, in, in compared to the agency, what you said is like that emotional need for connection and talking with someone, et cetera, obviously it's not being met. And, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's the balance to strike between just, you know, like smashing out like documents and, you know, reports, et cetera, versus having that. And, and I think, by the way, I think I have quite intimate relationship with some of the tools like Ahrefs and SEMrush. So I do think it can happen for a software tool, but it's definitely um, uh, a, a bit of a different thing. Yeah, no, for sure. I also think it comes down to how many problems you can solve. So like you, me, Josh, you know, we can analyze the situation and determine what the problem is, what the issues are, right. and then come up with a solution for it. Software, right. you have one solution to one problem, or you right. have a couple of problems that, you know, a couple of problems that you have a solution for. Right. Um, I think a big part of it is being able to come up with and solve the problems. Um, one, right. like the problem of reporting, right? So you got to right. come in and report up to the CEO, or that's a different report than if you're reporting to an SEO specialist. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, sure you can create dashboards that allow you to do it, but some of the metrics, you know, it's just, you got to pull, you got to interpret, you got to analyze. I, I was about to say reports are hard. Mm -hmm. People think a report is about putting something together in Google analytics, but choosing the right metrics and then turning the data into insight. And then I think even push it further, turning insight into a story, mm -hmm. like what's the, you know, like 30 second pitch of what am I looking at? you know, uh, it's, it's, it's an art form, but, but yeah. that's to say like the dashboard, you know, it's cool that you know, saving me tons of time to, to get everything into place that then maybe allows me to look at 
and you know make a, make, make an educated conclusion based on all the work and I can actually spend more time looking at the data and coming to a conclusion coming to a story because I didn't have to dig around the account forever and it's already neatly there yeah so I think synergy um, between software and the human mind yeah that's funny I was uh, I was talking to a friend um, he built a an agency he built a uh, software company and I think they they sold it with 300 million or something and um, uh, he talks about um, you know, like the idea that, well, I, I, what it comes down to is like analytics and analysis is like a, um, you're finding a bunch of problems you didn't even know you had. And then you're coming up with solutions that solve that problem. So you're the one coming right. out with, oh, we need this tool, to solve this problem, or we need right. this level of uh, things to solve that problem. Right. Um, yeah, I definitely you know, like. It's hard to get software to be able to handle all of those problems, analyze it, and come up with a solution. But I think if somebody can figure that out, AI. I believe AI. Once we really get AI and machine learning integrated um, into SEO in a much stronger way, and this, it goes for marketing technologies in general. Um, right. I think that's when we're going to start to be able to build those products um, okay. like of the services that we already have, like being able to come in and have imagine having a software that would come in, run your reports and your analysis pick out all the information out of there, find what the problems are on your key goals, your KPIs. And then it goes out and finds all the technology stacks that you need in order to do it, whether or not that's like a, a conversion AB split testing software that maybe split test your title tags or, or maybe it's just like right. uh, better tracking and maybe you need more data that you don't have. Like AI, I think AI machine learning could do that. And that's actually where my passion lies right now is in how AI is going to be AI and machine learning and technology is going to start to impact the, the SEO work, you know, SEO and digital marketing in general. Um, and I can't wait to see, you know, once we get a lot more, you know, I think, uh, involved. I, I think one probably the, like application that is right around the corner is, is probably going to be content. And, you know, we're moving away from Google interpreting keywords to Google interpreting topics. And then when people talk about entities and all this stuff and, and you know, like word vectors, et cetera, Google is getting better or, you know, like machine learning, the natural language processing, AI. Let's speak if I, generally speaking, we're getting better at understanding relationships between topics. And mm -hmm. we're better at getting understanding hierarchy um, and we're getting better at understanding context. So I can see how, for example, that um, like content planning and all these things might be something that is pretty at the corner in terms of like looking maybe what are all the things that the competitors are ranking for? What topics are they covering? What are the things that are topics that are, you know, clustered around that close to that, what we should be covering as well. And then um, turning that into a more topic-based content planning. I think that that's something that's probably could come around quite quickly. Didn't, um, I don't quote me on this exactly, but, um, the IBM Watson, uh, I heard he came up with actually wrote an article, um, or a script, a script I heard. And that's pretty but interesting. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they're that good yet. The, the writing AIs, um, no. but, but I've, I've heard that, but I think, um, topical well, reclamation might be an area when like yeah. our top, a topical coming up with topics rather. So like going out right. and analyzing sites for a PR pitch or a pitch. Imagine having a, an AI that would go out there, analyze the uh, presentations that were given, and then come up with the perfect pitch based on the historical analysis of presentations that happened at that conference or the articles that get published on that website. 
Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and maybe you know other topics people talking about right now at the same time at somewhere else. So, for example, what what I, I don't think it can happen that much anymore, but a few people in Germany became quite famous for you know going to a lot of American conferences and learning stuff that it's you know advanced over there, and then you know translating it to German and rolling it out here. Mm-hmm. And so that that that's for example that's an easy e- easy. Oh yeah, that's still happening all the time though um, with like non English you know. It's, um, the English market, American market, definitely ahead in terms of like digital marketing. Um, you think so? And uh, I mean, Germany by now probably not. Like the, I, th- I think we've 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 caught up quite well. Mm-hmm. But I also lived in Asia for a while, and for example, Indonesia Google is not what the American Google is, and the tactic and things that you can employ uh, is still different. And so, so that that is something something to realize as well. Um, yeah, but what I meant to say is like, so I think like an AI can probably figure out like, what is the thing other people are talking about, you know, in another part of the world or, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a different subsector of our community, right? There's not just one color of SEO, right? There's the agency people, uh, you know, then there's um, all the people who talk about um, on Twitter, then, then, you know, there, there's some more people who like more edgy stuff. And then, you know, there's affiliate people, and then there's, you know, agent, agency people in this country, in this country, in this sector. And, and I think kind of like cross pollinating what the other communities are talking about, and that our communities yet talking about, um, could, could be quite an interesting application. You know what I thought was really interesting? I think you you were one of the people that actually introduced me to this digital nomad community. Um, <laughs> I'm not really embedded in it as much as you are, but I find that very interesting as a business model for, you know, why, why you know, you don't always have to go the big agency route, right? So I was, right. you know, um, it was great. Like I love, I love working on, you know, the $50,000 a month accounts. It's fun, right? You get right. to, you get to experiment sometimes. Um, right. if you know, under you know, the right circumstances and through approval, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you already um, said the limitation of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but like the, you know, I, I which I, I loved, I loved, it was right. fun to build an agency. There was a lot of headaches, a lot of problems, but right. I, like the learnings were great. I love building the product with the pure link products. Um, right. because, but we're, we're definitely focused on scale, right? So right. Our, our goal is to hit 20 million in the next five years. But Rock like I do, but I like, um, I, I actually still like, and I loved when I first got started, I was, I was a, um, so when I got, I went to, I don't know that I've ever told you this story, but I, uh, after going to college, I was living with a guy who I was getting his doctorate at Cornell university. Right. And so I was postdoc. And then right. after college, you know, I was a typical college kid. I just wanted to leave, you know, I just wanted to go right. experiment, travel, uh, explore. Right. So that's what I did. I went to South America with this guy. And I was doing field research in um, Chile. Santiago, right. just north of Santiago. Right. And um, so after that, what happened is I got right. robbed. I got robbed. Uh, so my wallet <laughs> got stolen. I had no right, money, right, right. no credit cards. Uh, and then there's a problem internationally <laughs> when you, uh, when you, when you, like when you, um, you do this, like when right. you travel with, with credit cards and you don't have them, it's hard to get them back. Right. And, um, so like after that, I ended up actually on my mo- mother's couch reading right. about <laughs> SEO. That's how I taught myself SEO. <laughs> And then like, I'm two, so glad you're sharing this story. <laughs> um, and then, so I, I was doing like the old SEO training courses, like what technical SEO is, what spiders right. are and crawlers right. and search engines and technical audits. Right. And then, um, and then after that, about three years after that, I started freelancing and right. um, I liked it way more than working in house. So when I was working at the, right. 
Um, and then when I was running, I was also running an e-commerce, uh, medical equipment e-commerce site for, for a right. while. I got fired uh, from there, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and, but sometimes um, that's, they set you free. They set me you know? free. But it was like, it was also like, you know, really understanding, um, uh, you know, it's just always a good experience. I thought, I, th- I think everyone should get fired at least once in their life. Um, and then, so after that, I was freelancing. So back to what, where, you know, the, what really matters. I just, I loved it. I love being able to just um, do my own work, you know, work with a small team. So we had a small remote team at the time. There's contractors that we use mainly. Um, and, you know, that lifestyle where I was able to, I was able to travel um, so I could move around. I could go wherever I want and then work out of my laptop. I'd work out of mostly coffee shops. Like that was a completely yeah. different world and I loved it. Um, so, and I know you're a big part of this community. So I, right. I think the question, you know, maybe I think something that's interesting, whether you should go that direction, starting a company, building a team, remote or not, or sticking to a small group and then focusing on bigger things. So there's this book called, um, um, oh, I'll have to find it. I'm sure it's, oh, it's well, the, the, the general idea is like you stay small, but you do big things. So like, uh, company of one. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of them. Um, I have this, I have this, uh, on my bedside table right now. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, I really like this idea of, um, I really like this idea of staying small for some people. It really works staying small, but doing big things. So you should be like the company Coca-Cola comes to when they want a technical audit. Yeah. You know, you're the person that knows how to find find solutions to that problem that these people have. Right. And, you know, what, what are your thoughts about building a company, whether or not you should build a company or take that, you know, maybe you want to take that nomadic lifestyle or you just want to stick to being a freelancer. I think that's a hot topic. I think, well, it's not, it's right now it might be a hot topic. It's an important topic. Well, so the first thing I would say is never call yourself a freelancer. If you want to charge yeah. a high hourly rate, better call yourself a consultant. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, I think my career, if, if you want to call it such, has been weird in a way that I never really worked corporate. Like the, the only jobs that I had were like kind of like startups and that's still a very different like vibe um, than mm-hmm. anything like that. So I'm a, I'm a bit like unpolished when it comes to, when it, when it comes to that. Um, but I think what's interesting about the community of digital nomads, which, which is kind of a weird term because then we always think about these people who, who live with the laptop by the beach. But if we talk about this community of like digital entrepreneurs and internet marketers, I think it's important to realize for many people of value is freedom and freedom of choice and freedom of how to spend my time and where to be and, and, and how to spend my money. And obviously kind of like the number one figure in that, that space was Tim Ferriss, um, who published the four hour work week, like 10, 12 years ago, and kind of like set off this movement of people and also of the opportunities, because we have to realize that a, a lot of digital entrepreneurs, you know, that for example, make money in e-commerce or Amazon FBA, et cetera, probably even 15 years ago, it wasn't as easy and obvious for a single person with a small quantity to place an order in China. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, stuff like Alibaba, et cetera, really changed global supply chains and in a way democratized them in the sense that you as a small entity can all of a sudden make big international business. You can all, all of a sudden, you know, have bank accounts in all parts of the world, you know, source from all parts of the world. Me, you know, living in Germany and supplying services to American clients and people being okay with that. Yep. Those are all 
new developments that radically changed like our economy in the last 10 years. And then also it's important to realize that up until now, flying has been cheaper and more available and more widespread than ever, which all of this, you know, fostered this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah. So, 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 so I think all of these are kind of like important side notes to keep in the back of our mind. But if you ask me personal, um, some people really proudly walk around and say, I'm unemployable in the sense like I'm so free. I enjoy the freedom so much and not being in the office so much. And I'm so entrepreneurial. I'm not employable anymore, which, well, there's a certain glory that comes with the entrepreneur right now. And I feel like some people are getting, you know, too, too stuck on that. I, I love my freedom and I love the freedom to travel and work on the project that I would like to work on. I love the freedom, you know, yesterday afternoon say, Hey, I'm going to record a video and then spend the entire day setting it up, you know, recording it, editing, learning how to do it. And then I have a video. I love that freedom of choice. On the other hand, I think for the right costs, and for the right project and the right company or the right organization or community, I'm more than happy to be employed because there's only so much impact and leverage that you can have maybe as a small person or a small team. So neither am I super attached to the label of entrepreneur or, or digital nomad, nor to the I'm not employable. But I think for those people that like freedom, and, and that's not everyone. Um, mm -hmm. For many people, safety and security is, you know, a crucial part of their value system and something that they strive for, or maybe also routine. Um, and then don't force yourself to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone needs to be entrepreneurial and traveling the world and doing all these things. That's, that's the dream of some people. But, you know, if, if you're interested in it, I think it's very worthwhile, you know, taking, taking the jump into the deep end and experimenting what it's like. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I think it takes a lot more discipline um, than, than we think in our romantic version. And this is why, for example, I like client calls and why I you know, rent an office and do all the things because I realized actually working by the beach and coffee shop all the time is also incredibly hard. So I actually reestablished some structure into my life. Um, but I think what I, what I cherish more than the freedom of travel is choosing to pursue the activities that I would like to pursue. Mm -hmm. And my feeling is, and, and again, you can tell me more about this, is it's a misconception that as a CEO of a bigger team or bigger company, you get to do what you want. No. I, I feel the bigger <laughs> the company is, the more you are serving the company and serving the team and the less it is about you and the less it is about your dreams and your ego and you want, wanting to get it your way. I think actually, you know, becoming a CEO of a bigger company is, is, is probably let, letting go of most of this and giving, giving up most of that and surrendering to what unfolds if you let go of control. Yeah, that's funny. I was, so I was, um, you know, I, put, I usually am the one putting my daughter down for bed. And so what we went over, what she said last night was funny. It ties into this. It's just good timing. She was like, so daddy, can't you just take time off of work? Don't you own the company? So can't you just leave whenever you want? I'm like, no, <laughs> I cannot. Exactly. Yeah. And, and she wants me to go out because we're, we're figuring out how to ride bike without training wheels. And she's right. like, oh yeah, can't you just take off you know, in the middle of the day? I was like, no, I can't. I, you know, yeah. I can't leave. To, you know, I have to work. I have people I have to work with and talk to. I actually have less freedom. Well, it tells you something. Kids are asking the right questions. Yes. Because, they, they, you know, it's like the, the fact that you think you have to be there, this is an assumption worthwhile challenging. Mm -hmm. And I, I think she gave you good food for thought and yeah. actually challenged the assumption that you have to be there. 
I didn't have a really great answer. I was like, well, why do you have to be there all, all the time? Well, right. I don't, I don't know. I just want right. to, I want to work on things like today. I was literally going through our crawler as our crawler was indexing all of our sites. And I was, I was testing right. it and I was, I, I don't physically write the code, but you know, examining right. it, like I enjoy it. And right. you know, could I take a break from it, you know, for half a day and, and go do it? Sure. Right. But then we're going right. to be half a day behind. So uh, you, you got to read the discussion going on in my Facebook feed right now where I'm talking with a friend and he's like, it's not work, it's play. And, and I'm like, yeah, I get it. Work, you know, SEO, most of the things I do are play for me. Actually, most of the things are flow for me and peak performance is something that I inherently enjoy. Um, and I think I just choose to have non-work activities in my life as well like yes my work is play and I want to do it and I want to build and I want to grow something and on the other hand I, I started to stop myself a little bit and you know to try to take more time off and weekend off because I realized there's many playful creative and you know, conscious beautiful activities that we can do off screen also so I think I, I think she asked the right questions yeah. it's really challenging the assumption uh, about work and then also challenging the assumptions about what do we love doing? And then again, everything comes in moderation, even moderation, you know? So some days you want to hustle and, you know, you want to work on the crawler and, you know, someday you probably want to step away from it and, you know, do something completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So last year I, when I was training for the Ironman, um, I did uh, a half Ironman September. I noticed like, Sure, you could probably take away some time, but it takes it does take away time from other things. So I was less productive. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had six months of just all I did was I had sometimes working out for five hours, six hours a day. And if I had to ride my right. bike on Saturday for five, six hours, right. you can't work. Right. And, you know, so it's like trying to find that that was not a great balance. The amount of, you know, three to 20 hours a week, 50, you know, 10 to 20 hours a week of training. It's a full time. It's a part time job because you're also eating nutrition. So the idea here and how it ties into what you were saying is, um, you know, I think, yes, finding that balance, but what I've noticed in this year, so my big focus this year is I, I get up in the morning, I've been, I, I'll go to the trainer, or at least I was, um, you know, go work out a little bit, maybe an hour every other day or three days a week, as opposed to an hour to two hours to five hours, you know, five, right. seven days a week. Um, but finding like, I find I need to be focused on one thing and just dedicated to it. And that's all I think about. Because if yeah. I add in another thing on top of it, like an Ironman, if you're an Ironman, you do an Ironman race, which is 140, um, you know, over 140 miles, uh, right. 140.2. And, you know, that's all you think, it becomes something all you think about. So for right. me, I mean, I think that for anybody who's thinking about whether or not they want to start a company or be a freelancer, um, I think part of it is whether or not you can do that. Do you want to yeah. only focus on that one thing or do you need other things to focus on? Do you right. want to be, you know, do you fitness a big part of your life? And do you want to be able to make, you know, be passionate about that as well as being passionate about, you know, digital marketing and growing a company? Right. It's not, it's not as easy. Um, it, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, it certainly is not as easy or as, um, you know, as free, there's not as much freedom as, as most people assume there is. And not as much money either. You don't make as much money as people think. <laughs> Well, it's not about so, that. It can't be about that. If it's about money, it's, it's not worth it's, it. I think money is interesting in, again, it allows you to ask the, the it allows you to ask new questions. You know, if, 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 if you're wondering, you know, what does it take to make 
200,000, what does it take to take a million, to make a million? What does it take to build 20 million? You're asking, you're asking a different type of question. I think that that's the value in striving for bigger revenue goals is it makes you ask different questions and be more creative. But what I want to say about everything that you say about work and the Ironman, which of course you're going to be upset because you seem to be a go-getter, you know, who's serious about their project. So I understand how you came to spend so much time for the Ironman. But the way I look at this now is life comes in waves and it comes in cycles and there's time of work and there's times of other projects. And, you know, you, you spend a year spending a lot of time on the Ironman and that's an experience now. And that, then you realize, okay, I don't want to do this every year. And that's fine, but that, that's something that you contributed time to and that's an experience that you made and that's a project that you conquered. And now you're coming back to work. I think there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing inconsistent about this. And I think that's just being forgiving with ourselves and realizing that, you know, life comes in, in cycles. We have, you know, like winter, spring, summer, autumn, and it's, it's the same with our careers and our jobs, et cetera. So that's something that I wanted to say. And then actually to come back to starting a business and traveling, I think part of the reason I lived in Bali for two years and why many kind of like young entrepreneurs living in Bali is actually the opposite of lying on the beach is because it allows you for a very comfortable life where you work all the time because mm -hmm. you basically you're surrounded by other people who work all the time you go to the co-working space at you know or what i used to do is three times a week i would go to the beach fit at seven from seven to to eight then do the training you know then have my shake then go to the co-working space and then pretty much work until it's after dark have a really healthy meal in in one of the really good cafes and then because the sun is already down at like six and then basically sleep at like eight, nine or 10 at night and then wake up and do it all again. And then hang out with a bunch of friends that social activity means having a sunset coconut or getting together on a soda water with lime and ice because that's the only drink that is sugar-free, alcohol-free and caffeine-free. And that thus in your healthy business hustle community, you can even consume. So, um, and again, that's a project, you know, that's a cycle, that's a wave, that's the time, you know, when you built. I think there's periods of expansion and growth and building something, putting something together. And then, you know, there's phases of consolidation and stability and settling with it. And, and you know, I think that, that back and forth grow, growth and then stability, you know, that's the play, that's the play of life. And which brings me exactly back to the Calm Company, which we originally talked about. So one thing the Basecamp team does is like in the summer, they only work four days a week. So in the summer, the entire team takes one day, either Monday or Friday off, and they only work four days. And then in the winter, they work more, which I think is great. So that's adjusting to the cycles of life and, and you know, doesn't make them less productive. It just, you know, structures the day differently. And then actually the other book that sits side to side on my website is Stealing Fire, which is a book about altered state of consciousness, peak performance, and flow. Mm -hmm. And they have a concept called the hedonistic calendar. And it's important to realize that if part of the flow cycle, part of the peak experience is recovery. There cannot be flow without recovery. And as you know, as a fitness person, you know, you need the recovery phase in order to be perform better and grow muscles, et cetera. And it's the same with our mind and our state of consciousness and our work recovery is a mandatory part of the flow cycle. Mm -hmm. 
as by the way, a struggle and challenge and starting to dive into something that we don't know yet and that is challenging and complicated and too complex as it originally seems. Mm -hmm. So once we start realizing that flow and peak performance inherently uh, comes with struggle, but also inherently comes with recovery, I think then again, we can forgive ourselves or even embrace the fact that sometimes we're working really hard and sometimes we're not. And sometimes we're doing an Ironman and sometimes we build our company and you know, sometimes we just sit on the sofa and it's all part of the same process. Um, so yeah, I think integrating the hedonistic calendar with the calm company, I think that those are the two motives I'm trying to run my life by. Yeah. Um, you know, last thing I, I wanted to talk about, which I think is interesting as we're talking about these, you know, this, uh, nomadic lifestyle, uh, well, at least remote lifestyle, right. um, is, um, the different countries it makes sense to target when, you know, pursuing agency work. Oh, yeah. In, in the, I've always just done the, um, the United States because that's where I'm from. Right. So, right. um, naturally, uh, the people I know, the network I've built and the friends I've made are all from um, a considerable amount of them are from, from the United States. But what I've noticed, I don't know if you think this, I think Europe is actually ahead of the curve when it comes to SEO. Um, like think about the tools, where does, um, you know, uh, AWR cloud advanced web ranking, um, as some rush. Ahrefs, like um, a majestic SEO. Yeah, we also have Sister Exam. Like, it's very interesting. I mean, yes, in the U.S., like we have Conductor. Um, uh, there's, I can't think of a lot of other um, software companies, and I can think of a couple of random ones, but no major ones. Not like the industry standard, except Moz, of course, which is out of Seattle, and now Spark Toro, of course, which isn't really an SEO software, but right. Um, so, I, you know, I'm wondering. I'm wondering what there is to this. It's just a random thought. I'm kind of curious what there is to that. Um, mm. But the search volume, and I, like I'm always wondering also as, as far as a market goes, when you are um, targeting SEO services, or even if you're just targeting, uh, you know, you're doing SEO for yourself or, or, or whatever. It seems like in Europe, Europe as a whole has a huge search volume. The U.S., if you look at the search volume of U.S. terms, U.S. has a tendency to be pro um, significantly higher search volumes in the U.S. than there typically is in any given country in Europe or Australia, which is another main market. Um, you know, I, you know, what are your thoughts about which market to target and, and why for yourself Ooh. and the agency? I think that's an interesting one. So many thoughts on this. Firstly, the reason why, it's, why people have a hard time comparing Europe to the U.S. Um, is languages. Mm -hmm. So when we talk, you know, U.S. and then everyone speaks English and you you know, in a keyword in English, and we see the search volume in the US. If you want to, you know, rank for the same thing in Europe, that means ranking, you know, in like 10 or 15 different languages to even have the opportunity to have the same type of exposure. And I think that's why people like the US, because, you know, it's like one language, it's a big country, uh, it's a very consumer friendly um, country with a lot of purchasing power. So this is why people like the American market, because even, even if Europe as a whole is big, every individual country is so much smaller. And then every, pretty much every country has a different language, which just adds a layer of complexity to everything that you're doing. That being said, what I always teach Europeans and small companies and, and SEOs starting out is, you know, start writing a blog, a website, start doing SEO in your mother tongue, 
because again, it's going to be so much easier to rank. Um, like I, I have, I have a friend with a small psychology website ranking for relationship issue, the head tail, safe marriage head tail ranks in German without having a big website, without having a ton of links, etc. This is just something that you wouldn't get away with in English and ranking in your mother language is almost always insanely easier than ranking in English. Um, and then, yeah, the market is smaller, but then again, the question is like, how big do you need to be? Pretty much any market in Europe can, can feed yourself and can probably feed a team and make it worthwhile to pursue in business in there. So the question is like, how big do you need the market to be in order for you to have a company at the size that you're dreaming of? And probably you can do that in most European countries in, in a non-English language. And yeah. then I think what's going to be interesting for you is I'm not sure if, how it is about the rest of German, but it's German link building is so bizarre because Germans that? do not like to link to you. And I think it's a mix. <laughs> we, 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 also, we also don't put our real names on Facebook and we have long privacy policies and, you know, you have to publish that you name your telephone number and your complete address on your website, even if you're a private person, et cetera. And Germans are just inherently suspicious. Like, what do you want from me? Why do you want to publish a guest post? Like, I'm not going to have a stranger publish a guest post on my site. It's going to be insanely hard getting someone to link to you from a German website, which has two, two uh, results. A, um, most German websites are going to have comparatively, um, I find, like it's, it's harder it's harder to get links and you can probably rank with less links than you would need for us and english and then on the other hand if, if you're talking about paid links and paid links placement is like german links are insanely expensive mm -hmm. uh so yeah if you want to start a good you know like uh, business if you can figure out german link building and you know open a german pure link chapter mm -hmm. i think there's probably some money to be made there because links are very pricey in germany We've had a number of clients have us. Um, so part of you know, we have a number of sites in our database, a very small percent. Actually, uh, interesting enough, UK is the next biggest one beside outside of the US for us. Is certain sites we've um, built relationships with. Uh, small, very small percent was right. Germany, Denmark, uh, France, and um, uh, Netherlands as well. And I think that. Um, um, it, it's been, it's definitely been interesting for sure. Like as we build out these types of sites, but I, I, I can see where you're saying these, the German sites, um, I think also as related to population, but, um, we have a very low number of, of German sites that we've had relationships with compared to other countries. Like UK is, is huge. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, we, we don't like it. It's, I think it's a cultural problem. It's yeah. like, I have German friends who are not going to like my posts on Facebook because they're like, I don't want Facebook to know what I like. <laughs> and I think that kind of mentality just, you know, which I mean, I think it's good. Like with, with the technology companies like Facebook and LinkedIn and data and data breaching and all this stuff, it's probably good to have some people challenging our need, you know, to post and share everything, but it just makes link building kind of weird. Um, but then again, and I'm not the best person to ask because if you talk about targeting, it's, it's like before I was working for a lot of Australian clients mm -hmm. and now i predominantly work for american clients um so i only i only every now and then have german seo projects um hmm. yeah i was yeah. trying to i'm sitting here trying to find some statistics um about the amount of searches um in at least in google by country um 
But uh, you kind of have to do your own research on that, I think, on a case-by-case basis, uh, keyword-by-keyword. But I was trying to get global searches, and it's, I can't find anything like uh, last minute. But um, Well, as I, as, as I said, obviously, the bigger your company gets, the more you're going to ask yourself that question. And then, But it's always the question like, you know, is the market big enough for you? Yes. And I think if you're a small company, it, it's almost always going to be big enough for you. Oh yeah, you'll always be able to find five, ten jobs. But when you want to find one thousand, two thousand, three thousand, that's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, it's a different story. Yeah, um, I also, I also, I very heavily look to Europe uh, for um, for SEO softwares or uh, like SEO knowledge. I it just it seems more. It's I like the the conversation in Europe is much different than it is in the U.S. Um, when yeah, we it comes talk about different things completely. Um, when it comes to like business, you know, service offerings, link building in Europe, much more prominent um, or much more openly, there's much more open conversation about paying for links or um, anything to get you ranked really. In the US, it's not like that. In the US, um, very heavily, there are some people who openly talk about paying for placements or paying for links or something like that. Right. Um, A lot more people who act like they don't pay for links and are clearly paying for links. Right. Um, that kind of, that's pretty popular in the U.S. right now. I've noticed, and um, but in Europe, it's it's completely different. It's like you against Google versus uh, oh, we have to work with Google and we have to follow all of Google's guidelines. But nobody actually knows what their freaking guidelines are in Link Scheme anyway. Right. Uh, nobody I mean, actually understands them. I mean, it, again, it, it's it's probably overgeneralizing by even saying Europe, right? Because I mean, same. Like, I'm always surprised called the United States of America, and then every yeah. state is so different, you know. So I think it's the same with like Europe. But even for example, the American debate about accessibility of websites, mm-hmm. we, we didn't have that. But we talk, constantly talk about GDPR and 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 you know data security. That was kind of the main thing of 2019, and then doesn't really it's not, it's not a discussion in the U.S. So I think understanding with the with owning your own data and the entire that's something that the european you know is pushing for a lot and that that's just also something um i think that's more on the european mind and then i don't know if it's actually different in the sense that you say oh, the all the seo companies are from europe but then all the big monopolies google facebook etc they're all american so i don't know if that also makes a difference in in the discussion and the, the climate. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, I've noticed also we've gotten quite a bit of business out of Israel. Uh, we work with a lot, mm, yeah. a, a number of Israel, oh, yeah. uh, Israeli a Very, very entrepreneurial country. Very technology focused, um, yeah. smart uh, yeah. marketers as well. Yeah. Uh, everybody I've talked to from uh, Israel has been uh, challenged, challenging because yeah. it's, it's challenged in a really good way. Yep. They just, they have different ideas on things and yeah. um, uh, very analytical. Um, and, and, and the culture, you know, you thrives on challenging and mm-hmm. it's, it's not this uh, kind of like pleasing and saying yes, boss type of attitude. Um, no. And so, so it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting which country you want to work in um, and which co- some countries you may, uh, per, you know, be better fit for their culture as well. Like uh, India has a very unique culture. Uh, way of handling business. China is very similar, um, you know, uh, and then certain parts of Europe, how, how business is handled is also very different. Like the etiquette, yeah. the, um, you know, how you work with people, how you partner or don't partner. Right. Um, well, I, I can tell you from my experience is, 
And again, I think one of the things that I lack is is not being polished enough when it when it comes to to corporate. And 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 then the other thing is that happen is I think in a way for Germans I'm sometimes too American. Mm-hmm. And I th- I don't I, I think for for Americans I'm pretty German. Um but I think because I I like my entrepreneurial network is very American and then a lot of my clients are is even the way I sell is quite aggressive i think for the german mind uh and and so i I sometimes struggle with that a little bit and i I, you know i bring a weird kind of like hybrid flavor that not every german necessarily likes as a specific type of person who likes that Mm -hmm. um yeah but that's something that i would like to figure out it was actually one of my plans for this year is go to more events in berlin go to more events in germany and understand better what the scene is doing here and what is going on Mm -hmm. um because there's a big um German speaking and German speaking only scene also. And I only kind of like tipped my toes into that last November when I was at an SEO conference in, in Austria. And it was my first German speaking gig. And the first time I was hanging out with the kind of like German speaking SEO community in person and understanding that community and what inspires them was one of my 2020 goals. And now kind of have to figure out what's, what's, what's going on with the current events and whether I can still do that in the way I envision. But it's different. It's a different flavor. It's a different nuance, a different ambience, different mindset for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody really understands. Everyone has heard that, but you never know. You never really understand what that means until you've um, started to experience, you know, different cultures and work with different cultures and be a part of a team with different cultures. Uh, I I actually think you would like working with Germans. I think. Because I think one one thing to be said (laughs) is like, they're, they're, you know, analytical and kind of like, responsible in the sense that um, people say no. Ah, that's Mm -hmm. actually something that I wanted to say before about um, business and productization and expectation management. I think the the king and queen of working with clients and working with the work, the king of queen of clients is learning you to say no to clients. Mm -hmm. And then I think the, the, the Holy grail of team management is learning for your team to say no to you. Yeah. Um, which basically means that then you get into a state of integrity and saying and doing what you said you would do, not feeling mm-hmm. forced to say yes to something that then you end up not being able to do that. And I think Germans are pretty good with that. So I think with you having an analytical mind, is that how you will probably like working with Germans? Yeah, I've worked with a number of engineering firms um, yeah. in Germany over the years uh, or companies that were based in Germany that were engineering right. in nature, industrial. That's a big part of how I got started was doing a lot of industrial based SEO projects. Right. Like ranking for air compressor, like industrial air compressor or right. gas, you know, gas, you know, industrial gas pumps, things like right. that. Um, I, w- I want to learn more about that. that. That's maybe time for another conversation. Yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> um, Viola, thanks for your time. I know we, uh, we, I just, I think every time you and I get talking, we just, it just flows and we just keep going. So I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I want to respect I was kind of, I, I was kind of, no, I was, I, I was showing in between because um, I'm meant to go somewhere later. I'm like, I appreciate this. I, I hope like, I don't, I don't know how the feedback is going to be between us and you, the listener and audience of this podcast, but please leave us a comment and let us know what you think, because I can tell you I'm very inspired from talking with you, Kevin, but I'd love to hear the feedback of everyone who's listening to this right now as well. That'd be great. Um, so for anybody that will be listening, um, do you want to give just a, um, you know, a quick pitch, uh, tell them how to get in contact with you. 
Well, uh, my agency is called Flow SEO, and you can find us at flow-seo.com. We do search engine optimization for digital businesses such as software, e-commerce, and e-learning. And if you want to chat to me personally, you can probably best find me on LinkedIn as Viola Eva. And we'll post that. Uh, we'll post that into the uh, description as well. Perfect. Thanks a lot. I, um, it was great talking to you, and I'm sure we'll be talking probably in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Okay. Josh, uh, we could probably edit out the, from here on, I think. Okay, great. So, um, yeah, thank you so much, Bela. It's been great having you. I'm super excited about this. Like, I, I could probably go at the, this conversation for another half an hour, especially now that you said the, with the industrial SEO, like, I'm super curious. Yeah, I honestly could have, uh, we could have <laughs> went down the path of talking about um, SEO for, like, B2B versus, you know, consumer products, um, which I think Ooh. is, like, a really... I think it's an interesting topic um, yep. in general because like the search, like the, the, the idea of, of a low search volume, but high order value right. keywords, you know, in industrial or B2B uh, versus the consumer space where you have hundreds of thousands of keywords or searches per day for a specific keyword, like right. probiotics, which has 300,000 searches a day. I think when I looked right. uh, a couple of days ago, right. Right. Um, like it's so interesting to figure out who do you want to target? Which type of company do you want to go after? Yeah, and it's it's not always easy to figure that out. I mean, you know what? This also comes. I think that's why I like e-commerce SEO, because um, then you, you know your return on investment is more tangible. Yeah. If it's a consumer product, uh, I mean, if if you do kind of like SEO as a lead gen for B two B, it's still a little bit more blurry. What do you think about link building to category or product level pages? Category for e-commerce. So debatable. I mean, I'm fine with it. I just, I, I just, I mean, I, I appreciate it. Um, But I I think with a lot of the, um, like the more realistic link building is probably to your blog posts that then link to categories and product pages. But I mean, if you can get someone to link to your category or product page, I'm fine with that. Yeah, yeah, that's actually the whole reason why we, we launched uh, Mention Connections, which was um, part of our audience is finding brand mentions of products that people, uh, uh, companies are selling. So for example- sexy. yeah, that's a good idea. Um, so for example, I think we're doing one with Gucci right now where a company that sells Gucci, so they do all high-end stuff. They're actually out of right. uh, Europe. Do you remember where Anissa was from, Josh? I, I never heard. I don't think she ever said. I don't remember. I don't remember. I'll find that out. But like, I'm um, just going out there finding brand mentions of Gucci, and then we reach out and get links back via that. It's been the easiest way to get links to category pages. That's brilliant. You know, this this alone, you you should probably edit this back into the podcast or not, if that's your <laughs> secret sauce. And maybe not. You know, yeah, SEOs like to keep their secrets. It. Yeah, the whole um, is that. But that's great. Like that is such a smart idea. Yeah. Doing, doing, doing it for the product names. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting, but I think the big, uh, Josh brought up a really, Josh, you brought up a really good thing. Um, you know, uh, uh, idea of diversifying, not just getting the anchor text updated for say Gucci when they mentioned Gucci right. and getting that back, but just getting mentioned in an article about Gucci that already has page authority and already has links. Um, you know, from our perspective, as long as it's not overdone, uh, meaning you can't get a thousand Gucci links, of course. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. 
but it's to me it seems like it is it does have a positive impact and it's the easiest way to get category level links we're doing so with ahrefs right now i'm doing a study they're working on pulling the data right now where we're analyzing i think um 5000 i think we're doing 5000 um domains so they're right. going to pull key, the anchor text profile for 5000 domains for us across 1000 keywords Right. And we're trying to identify um, the link profiles, whether it's branded right. based anchor text or non-brand anchor text. And, um, to, and you're doing that for your personal interest or you're publishing a guest post with them together on this? Um, I, well, I, it started just because I'm interested in it. And right now we're probably going to do a whole campaign around it. So um, uh, for nice. the ebook coming out for Search Engine Journal, the next ebook, the uh, Enterprise SEO, I don't know if you're a part of that one. No. Um, so that's coming out. They're using one of my articles and we're creating a new article and we're just going to be talking about exactly this brand mentions, um, the importance of brand mentions in your link profile. And then the, the, I don't know if we would call it, I've been calling it brand mentions when it's a product that you sell, a brand that you sell. And I still think that's a brand mention. Um, well, I mean, yeah, it's a product brand mention. Yeah. And yeah, you, you know, be because it's, it's, the, it's not just a brand. It's, I think you said that before, even yourself. It's not just a brand that is your company. It's also uh, different products within that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, if once, once the study is done, I'll send you the data. It should be interesting. Uh, hopefully. Yeah, I'm, I'm very curious. Oh, uh, by the way, I'm also, um, it's that you said new ebook and all this stuff. Like, um, with my SEO friends, we're releasing, we're going to start publishing this um, SEO textbook starting mm -hmm. June. So that's one of the bigger projects I'm working on. I'll send okay. you some of the stuff. I think it's probably, um, it's a weird mix of too technical and too beginner. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one super nerdy guy who writes it. And then I, I write kind of like goofy articles in between. Uh, I'll send you some of the stuff and you can let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Please. Um, <laughs> Anything, yeah, anything I can get my hands on to read right now, I'd, I'd love. It's, it's, is it actually going to be kind of like a textbook style? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's going to be a website, right? Not, not a book, but it's going to be textbook style. And probably we're also releasing it step by step. It's not clearly figured out yet. The first piece is probably coming out in June. Okay. But if you're looking to read, like the other book that is on my website, Stealing Fire by Jamie Wheel and Stephen Cutler. I was just like that, That's my Bible. That's why I called the company Flow SEO because it's just, I mean, and then there's me high chick me son he hi like horrible hungarian name who is the original guy who coined the term flow and has a book called flow mm -hmm. those two i can really also recommend because but especially stealing fire they talk about this peak performance and how recovery and struggle is a necessary part of it and i think everything they say about mindset of peak performance or alternative consciousness you'll probably really like yeah no i um right now it's kind of an important topic for me i'm I'm trying to train my mind to be used to working and focusing for longer periods of time. Um, I used to be really good at it in college. Uh, after coming yeah. out of college, I was like, I could focus for like six, seven hours on one thing without break. Yep. Just and and and, and now you're dopamine addicted from social media notifications. Your mind is a frantic mess. Yeah. Your nervous system is in constant fight, flight, or freeze, and you can't focus anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's probably pretty accurate. Like too much time on. Uh, I, I definitely think I'm not as focused as I used to be. Um, yeah, I, uh, I have I have bad. troubles reading long books now, and I think it's a direct result of my computer time and the way I consume media there for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What's that uh, Mentor Box? Have you heard about Mentor Box, where it's they take your favorite books 
and they just summarize them in bullet points so you can get all the key points right out of it? Oh, man, yeah. We're, we're really losing it, huh? Uh, like nobody <laughs> wants to read. <laughs> That's phenomenal. I mean, it, it's, you know, and sometimes I don't know if this is the solution or if this is causing more problems. <laughs> <laughs> just feeding the flames. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. We're all losing our minds. <laughs> yeah. All right. I um I don't want to keep you for too much longer. I know if I feel like if we talk, we're gonna go off on rails. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I really do. And yeah, this was a good conversation. Um yes. when when do you think you're gonna publish the first episode? Like is there anything I can do in terms of like sharing it or what's your strategy? Are you gonna launch this? Do you need a review? Like what what can I do to help with this? Yep. So um we're gonna I think we're going to completely redo the intros. Um we did have an intro, but I don't know that we like it, plus the thumbnails. So Josh and I are going to be working on that. We don't right. have the exact timeline. I do want to kind of stagger them out. So I still have uh, one, then I have another one next week. Um, uh, one of my guests just had to cancel because apparently they, the company they work for, they can't talk about SEO. But he used to be VP. He used to be head of global SEO for GoDaddy. Uh. Um, and now, <laughs> you know, this company, he used to do all these kinds of presentations on SEO. Now he can't do it. Interesting. Um, so I'm, I'm mapping that out. Um, it's probably going to be a couple of weeks before we actually, maybe a week or two before we actually publish it. I think right. we're going to try to push for, um, I think maybe a publication every Tuesday would be nice. Like one broadcast every uh, one right. podcast every Tuesday. And then we've on a webinar once every week to two weeks. Right, right, right. In, but it's going to be part of your main website and then it's going to be, I don't know, purelagon.com slash podcast and then podcast one or something like that and, yeah. exactly yep so we're gonna we're gonna uh, start to publish them right on the website and then we're um we're gonna get them set up i, I think i'm gonna mainly drive people to the website but we will get right. it set up so that it's like use anchor to distribute it online or something like that uh through yeah, um, yeah. we just haven't set that up yet i just i literally two weeks ago on a sunday i woke up and i was like i think we need to do webinars and podcasts every week and then i just started doing them uh, I've been back and forth between wanting to start my own podcast. Like probably it's one of the things that pretty much every other week since like a year, I'm thinking I should do this. I should not do this. You I'm trying to, my, my internet is so bad right now. Since yesterday, I'm trying to upload a video on YouTube and now it's 45 minutes up, uh, 45% <laughs> up and still going since like 24 hours. Um, I, I think the conclusion I'm came to is I'm going to try, I give it a try with YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the app, you know why, why I like podcasts is, um, again, is relationship building. And I, for me, the ultimate asset in probably being a podcast host would be being able to build relationships to the people that I would like to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I agree. It's I, th like, I, it's think, I think you should make it a target to, for example, go get on Joe Rogan podcast or so. Now, yeah. now, you know, for example, he likes athletes. The fact that you have did the Ironman, you know, this is a good conversation piece that he would like. Yeah. Um, so then it's about figuring out who of your friends know people who know him and, you know, hustling your way into it. And so a podcast can help. He, he has a, I mean, he has pleasures of, you know, I'm, I'm nobody really, but, um, he has, he has people on that all the time that are just, you know, really interesting about topic yep. and talking about certain topics. Um, I would love, yeah, I, but he has a, he, he like he likes athletes. Mm -hmm. He likes, you know, as you said, it's unedited. Me. He likes bold people. He likes people who share something new. Uh, he also likes some crazy people, but he like he likes the stoners, et cetera. Like, you know, there are certain <laughs> characteristics, you know, things that he likes. So, yeah. um, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, um, so I, I was thinking about that. Like, that's funny that you said it, because you, you got to have goals and something to work towards. And, and yes, here we have $20 million revenue goal and stuff like that, but personal goals and what my personal goals are going to be are, um, is something I've been really questioning. Yes, I want a company. I do want to start this. I do want to solve big problems for big companies. Right. Um, I, want, I want solutions. I want to create solutions to problems right. that, that people are having. But what are those solutions and what are the right. problems? The problems right. I think I would, like to start, I would like to focus on, and one of the things why we start talking about um, you know, link building um, and the, the conversation around link building and how people talk about SEO in Europe versus um, the uh, USA Right. is I believe that the industry has some major problems, right? right? So for growth, one of it is how we actually talk about and implement SEO. Oh, you know, wow. no. um, so, sorry, I'm messing, I'm messing with my camera. Uh, no I'm not doing it well. <laughs> sorry, the way we talk about SEO. <laughs> yeah, in the US, they, you know, they demonize, um, it's like technical SEOs are the really popular, right. um, you know, that's really popular right now and hot. So you talk about technical, but nobody really talks about link building like that. And some of the people who are great link builders hide in the dark and they just want to be, because they, maybe they're considered black hat or something like that. It's just, I, I want to change that dialogue. I want to change yeah. how people think about SEO in this industry and you know, to the point where we can grow faster. You know, um, have you heard about the Chiang Mai SEO conference, which is kind of like the black hat Mecca? So um, it's this guy, Matt Diggity, who used to be kind of like the PBM king, oh, um, but now he's not anymore, um, who started it. And, and, and then they're growing up, basically. That's what's happening. Is, and then um, last year, they invited Peter Solis to speak. Mm -hmm. um, and then everyone basically told her not to go. Um, because they're like, oh, you can't as associate with this crowd, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so, yeah, I can, I, I can see that. And then it's funny, these guys, they're, they, a lot of them are affiliate SEOs, et cetera, also. And then but some of them have quite big agency. And the funny thing is they call people like Alita Solis and us. They, they, they call us the Twitter SEOs. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. There's so, so many subcultures, you know, I didn't even know this. And they're like, oh, Viola, you started hanging out with all the Twitter SEOs. I'm like, um, what's the Twitter SEOs? And it's like, yeah, people who, you know, have like corporate agencies and, you know, talk about branding and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, interesting. <laughs> that's, it is so, interesting because there is a black hat community and then the, the Twitter, I never thought about the Twitter community as being different. Um, oh yeah, and but the thing is, like even these guys that are old, you know, like um, Matt became big with selling PBNs. Um, and then it's other Jonathan had like PBN Butler, but they're all rebranding now. They all have like Whitehead guest post services now. They're rebranding to SEO Butler, et cetera. They, they're also trying to get away from it. They're like, oh, if anything, we're gray hat. We don't want to be considered black hat because black hat is internet hacking, et cetera. Um, I like talking to different people, you know, and then, mm -hmm. you know, you take what's useful and you leave the rest. And, yeah. And, I'm looking at his site right now. Oh yeah. He started authority builders. Yep. That's all paid PB. That's all paid. They're not PBM, yeah. but they're all paid. You know, <laughs> it's black hat. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, but they wouldn't say that's black hat. They're saying it's white hat. It is not. <laughs> like, I get it. Um, right. But, you know, let's many would say, about. many would say all SEO is black hat. Yeah. Well, if, if, if that's what you're really thinking, then you should probably edit out the past where I say in Germany, you always have to pay for links. But yeah. 
the, the reality oh, is like even even after our conversation, I was I was I was I was chatting with um with with the guy who runs my backline team, and I was like, oh, you know, how's it going with the campaigns and everything? And we're starting to talk about talk about this, and I was like, no one wants a freaking free guest post anymore. Everyone mm -hmm. wants to be paid. Like, yeah. how can we ignore this? Mm -hmm. Pretending it's not happening, and pretty much everyone wants to be paid for the link. Yeah. No, it's, you can create great content. I think, you know, unique studies and things like that are great ways to earn it, but they're time consuming. You can't scale it up. It's, it's right. harder to do. It's not as impactful. Right. Um, like the link building, sometimes if you have to pay a publisher, um, you know, some brands, they just straight up say, you can't do it. No, uh, which right, is fine, right, right. but yeah. it just doesn't, um, you know, to yeah, me, yeah. It, it seems silly. I think there's tactics that once you start hacking sites and stuff, that's, so that, that's what that's what the guys that you call blackhead they're 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 clear that the real blackhead is only hacking site so this is why link insertion for me always sounds like blackhead and hacking i agree yeah. that, that that that's how i know the, the the guys that i know that sell link insertion that's what they do they hack sites and they, they insert links. so yeah. um i mean like safe screen. links <laughs> yeah these but there's also there's um i don't even like to probably need to push the not record button but one of the one of the friends that i have is charles float and the, for example a lot of the stuff i think that they do in his link building services also stuff like that he doesn't yeah. publicly admit that but my intuition is kind of like yeah and so i like i think we yeah, need no, to challenge i think yeah, we, you, need we to have challenge. to make sure you you cut this video material yeah yeah I, <laughs> yeah that's no problem i will well i think we'll need to um you know, I think that we need to change that conversation. Like, right. you know, why is it not okay to pay a publisher to get a link? Because Google says it. I don't care. Right, if it's right, going to get right. me ranked, does it matter? I do not care what Google says. Right. And right now they're not going to penalize you. I mean, like, yes, it's the risk averseness. And then well, that's the big conversation. Okay, I think that, maybe I need to read the Google guidelines again. But yeah, so, yeah, I, I need to dig out there. The, I, I saw a podcast on this and I don't think it's as clear cut as maybe the, you know what it is. We, we can, we can get philosophical, but I need to hang up in a second, but we can get philosophical about this is um, I think it's the American Puritan values. It's like we're not paying for links, you know, it's like yeah. different. I think uh, Europe generally is more dirty and upfront about dodgy topics. And um, I think it's maybe, uh, Puritan inheritance that you, you guys don't want to admit that you pay for links. Yeah. A lot of people are, are like that. Some people are very open. Um, right. and then I've, I started creating this graph, which shows the link building tactics and right. the difference between fully, um, natural, like you build it and they will come versus straight up paying for a link into a PBN. Right. And, um, like there's a, you, every type of link building you can do, there can be a paid version of it, you know? Right. Um, well, ultimately it comes to return on investment and yeah. this, this is how a lot of, of the guys look at it is, well, here, here's what I say. Like if you want to build a sustainable business, I don't think you should be using any spam PBNs or paid links and all this stuff. If you want your business, you know, to be somewhat algorithm proof, if that even exists, I don't, I don't think you should bet on it. Um, but you know what, what actually happens with the guys who sell content sites and e-commerce sites for flipping is they, they, they build them out on PBNs and then before they sell them, they, they build back the PBNs and they put like quote unquote white hat links on it and then they flip it only then. But they basically just say it speeds up the process. It's a business decision. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's so much, this is a whole other topic. I am, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty, 
I, I think I'm about. hanging out in the wrong kind of crowd. I've realized I, I didn't know it was that frowned upon. <laughs> it can definitely, in the U.S. in part, it definitely has a tendency to be. Um, it's more about uh, natu- you know, generating natural links, following Google's guidelines, being yeah, friendly I mean, with Google. Like, but I mean, cares? that's what I do, right? That's what I do in my agency. That's what I teach my clients. But, but I think we just have to be aware about the other stuff as well. You know, mm-hmm. like, pretending it's not there, it's not very helpful either. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think you just need to just need to understand it. I think that's yeah. key. Um, but I've kept you for like two hours. Uh, it's been great talking to you and catching up. Yeah, um, I, I, I appreciate you sharing your insight. And, we'll, and, uh, and now, I, now I know how I make it on the calls is by sharing dodgy black hat tricks casually. <laughs> casually. And not being aware that this is a problem. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's a problem. I think people need to understand that it does happen and that's what's happening in the industry. But um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's definitely something that people are, I'd say, are trying to avoid. And they're, they're looking more natural, content-based. Um, well, so let, let's put this on the record. It's, I do not pay for links or PBNs for my clients, period. <laughs> Perfect. Good night, my friends. <laughs> Sounds good. We'll end it on that. Thanks a lot, Viola. We'll end it on that. I appreciate it. And yeah, let, let me know when it goes live. Um, I will. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this. Thanks for your time. Bye. Enjoy the book. Talk to you soon.